Well, it's good to be here today, and uh, thanks for the songs, and thanks, Bruce, for your um, your reading, your prayer, and I'd like, to, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to um, Psalm 119. <clears throat> if I had a verse behind the message today, it'd be uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And with that, I'd like to read out of Psalm 119, beginning at verse 97. And we will read through 104, and I have no idea what's this version. I grab a different Bible all the time. Uh, you'll be able to figure it out. <clears throat> 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. <clears throat> I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore... I hate every wrong path. So how do we know that we are right, and we say this humbly, how do, that you, how do you know this morning without a question that you're right as a Christian believer? Thirty-seven years ago, 1983, 82, Heidi and I was at Bubba Gump Shrimp in Monterey. We love it. Good place to eat. We were sitting there at our table. I had my Bible open, and we were discussing something. A young man, a young waiter came up, and uh, he's getting ready to take our order, and he said something like this. <clears throat> I don't believe a word in that book. And I probably said the wrong thing, and I said, well, I do. His name was John Brown. He made a comment something like this. Why do you Christians think that you're right? Why do you think you're the only ones or the only way to God? I'm going to tell the rest of that story at the end of my message. From Bubba Gump. <clears throat> 37 years has passed, and I tried calling John Brown last night. I haven't been able to get a hold of him for a few years. But what a question. And all of us that are believers, we know that Christianity is accepted by faith, it's, but it is based on truth, it's based on argument, it's based on evidence. The Bible is very clear in Peter that if somebody comes up and asks you a question, are you able to answer of the hope that you have within? What would you say if somebody asked you today, you guys that are Christians, you think you're right. And so egotistically minded, thinking you're the only way 
to God. Why? What would you say? As it was 37 years ago, and it has never changed, the root of the problem is unbelief. It's not ignorance. The root of the problem is unbelief. It's not ignorance. Everybody knows there is a God. And I will read out of Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Since what we know about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so the men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts, they were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires and their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. When John Brown came up to that table there at Bubba Gump's that day, John Brown knew there was a God. The Bible says that. So it's all about unbelief. It's not about ignorance. So what I want to do, I want to take it away from me this morning. I want to create a supposition. And I want you to imagine it's about you. Let's create a supposition. Let's suppose, and it's probably not going to happen, but let's suppose this evening at your house, you get a call from President Trump. And at first, when you hear his voice, you don't believe it. You think it's a joke. But uh, there's other people on the line, and you learn quickly that it's real. And President Trump says this. You have been chosen out of the hundreds of millions of Christians around the planet. You have been chosen to come to the Rose Garden to represent Christianity. I am inviting the nine major world religions. They're going to be here next Wednesday. You have three days to put what you want together. And you're going to represent Christianity. And for 20 minutes you get to say why you think you're right. And there in that rose garden, you're going to have Mormons, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, Shintoists, Bali, Hare Krishna, Confucius, and you the Christian. And he added another one, the Wiccans, which is, happens to be, besides the Muslim, probably the fastest growing a religion today, the witches, and I've met some. So here you are, you got the call. It's Sunday night. You'll probably call Phil and get this uh, body of Christ together quickly to start praying for you because Monday morning you're getting on a plane, Air Force One at Stockton. 
And all this little body of Christ is going to go up there and you're going to pray and Modesto B is going to be there and you're going to get the final snapshots as you board Air Force One to Washington, D.C. What are you going to say? You have 20 minutes. 20 minutes to sit there with 7.75 billion people watching everything listening to everything you say, what would you say? John Brown, in a kind way, forced me to think about some things. I'd like to suggest something. You're on the plane right now, so as you're on the plane, I'd like to suggest some things maybe not to say. And the reason I say this, because... I've done this and it doesn't work. When somebody asks you, why do you think the Christian faith is right? Don't say, well, I know I'm right because I feel I'm right. It's not going to cut it. When you got those nine major world religions set next to you on a panel and you would start out with something like this, they would all smile and probably giggle. Uh, that is stupid. Just because you feel you're right it's not about feelings. Absolutely not about feelings. It's about truth and fact. So don't say that one. Don't say another one that I've made a mistake with. Don't say, well, I know I'm right because there's more Christians than everybody else. Well, that might have been true 20 years ago. Not anymore. Now the Muslims are number one. I don't know who's number two and three, but Christianity is... they. Some of you place at one, but it's not because there's 40,000 denominations in the Christian faith, including the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness and a lot of Oriental um, Orthodox. And there's a lot of people in there that are not believers. So true Christianity, there's, we're not number one. So they're not going to go for that one. And I'd also suggest, maybe you shouldn't say, well, I know I'm right because... Uh, Christianity is the oldest of all the religions. That's not going to go anywhere either. Now, we know that's true because we know Christ was at the beginning and the Bible says he created all things and we knew he was there from the beginning. But the Muslims know that Mohammed came on the scene 600 years before Christ. So they're going to shout you down on that one. Don't use that one. Then I would also suggest, don't say, well, I know I'm right because people that look like me and worship like me are more dedicated, much happier. Now, there's a lot of cults out there. They're dying for their faith every day. Using themselves as bombs, thinking they're going to go to glory. So you know what? It is not about feelings. It's not about numbers. It's not about because uh, we're the oldest of all religions. It's really the truth of God's word. So what are you going to say? What would you say? Folks, there's one thing, one thing that separates you and I from every cult and every religion. One thing.
It's this. It's the Bible. And as you're on that plane and you start putting something like that together, and you got 20 minutes to talk to the whole planet, you've got to start out with something like that. <clears throat> I jotted this down in my Bible. Let's imagine it's you saying this. The camera is now on you, and you're sitting there in the rose garden, and all these billions of people are watching you, and you start out with something like this. Ladies and gentlemen of the planet, I know that my faith is right because the book that I hold in my hand called the Bible. Now, the author of this book and my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, what this book is all about. And it answers all of man's problems and it offers life and hope to the soul. This book is supernatural. It will never be figured out into the test tube or a microscope, yet it is alive and it is spiritual. And I would like to take the next 20 minutes to prove by showing that this book, the book of God, is absolutely perfect with no error. Then what do you say? I don't know how long this is going to take. I hope it's 19 more minutes. If it's more than 20, I'm sorry. But here we are in the Rose Garden. I believe that this Bible is perfect because of its unity. I'm going to share six things with you today, and I'm talking to the planet now. Six things with you today, then each one of these things have brought people to Christ to prove that Christianity is true. And one of them is just the perfection of its unity. This book that I hold in my hand, you cannot deny its unity, and the logic of that will prove it. This book was written over a span of 1,600 years. 40 different authors, over 100 different uh, places that they wrote the book, many of them never even met each other because it's over a span of 1,600 years. 783,176 words, perfection. 33,000 verses, 1,189 chapters. And all of these put together, it is showing with laws and proverbs and teachings and history and letters and songs and psalms, it's perfect in its unity. It shows the story of creation, of corruption, of condemnation, of imputation, of justification, sanctification, all the big words. And there's perfect in its unity. And when you get 40 different authors over that span to come in perfection of its unity, you can't even get two men to agree on one book today. And here you've got 66 in one Bible. And the chances, you do the math, the chances of all of that happening in one book is a one followed by 500 zeros. It's impossible. It's supernatural. 
And you can tell the planet there's no other book ever written. And they know this. The mistakes in the Quran and the pearls of great price and the Mormon, all of those, there is mistake after mistake. It's laughable. It really is. Not this book. So you can tell them it is perfect in its unity. You can follow that and you can say that it's perfect in its indestructibility. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the word of the Lord shall stand forever. The Bible says in Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. There has been men for the last 2,000 years doing everything they can to destroy this Bible. It'll never be done. In 303 AD, Emperor, Emperor Diocletian thought he had actually destroyed the Bible at one point. Burning them everywhere, at one point he thought, we did it. There's no more Bibles on the planet. He actually made an edict and he says, the Bible is now extinct on this planet. Some years later, somebody read the sign and said, hey, I wonder if there's any Bibles in this little village. And a hundred Bibles were given within the hour. They're everywhere. It's still the bestseller. Voltaire, the famous atheist, said with glee these words, all Bibles will be gone by the end of the 1800s. Well, Voltaire is gone, and they're now using his home as a depot for the American Bible Society, where hundreds of thousands of Bibles are being printed every year. Amen. Stalin, the butcher of the millions, said the Bible will be forever banned from Russia. Well, Stalin's gone, and there's more millions of Bibles flowing into Russia every year. This Bible is indestructible. And only one half of 1% of books ever make it last maybe as far as popular as more longer than maybe seven years. But the Bible still remains the bestseller. Wow. And you can take this Bible, and I don't know how many you have in your homes, but they're everywhere in Modesto. I would suggest there's hundreds of thousands of Bibles just here in this little town alone. Perfect in its unity, perfect in its indestructibility. Perfect in its historical accuracy. I love this one. You know, for a, a long, long time, in fact, even up to about 250 years ago, all the, the smart people, they call them the brain trust, they were tearing the, the Bible down, and, and our, our Father in heaven has a sense of humor. In fact, we know he laughs. The Bible says that in Psalm 2. But I think he just says, you know, watch this. And he allows something called archaeology to be really come on the forefront. And every shovel full of dirt has been wiping the smears off of people's faces everywhere, every day. And one of man's favorite pray, uh, ways to disprove the Bible is try to point out all the historical errors. Well, once archaeology came along in the early 1800s, everything changed. And thousands of scientists are coming to Christ. 
because every full, every spade of dirt that's been uncovered, all the major world empires from the Babylonians and the Persians and the Egyptians and uh, Alexander the Great, all of those now, the history, they're finding all of that. Man finally has agreed for the first time that the beginning of civilization did begin at the Tigris and Euphrates River. Well, the Bible's always said that in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. It's always been there. Man has finally admitted that there was a massive flood, not a local flood. There was a massive flood everywhere worldwide because every civilization has a flood tradition. It's everywhere. Wow. And I don't want to get too in-depth with this, but there's a difference between relative chronology and absolute chronology and with the radioactive and how they all do that. Well, Mount St. Helens, when it blew, boy, it made a lot of people embarrassed. They brought some scientists out there where the lava flow went. They allowed them to take out of the, the stream there layers, and they thought that was about 3.3 about million years old. No, 24 hours. Wow. Man has finally admitted that the walls of Jericho did fall outward, downward, and completely flat. They discovered that in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, and it's true. I've been there, I've seen it. Most all walls were always imploded, but the walls of Jericho, because of the miracle of the Lord, they fell outward and downward. They've now found that. Man has finally admitted that there is a time in history when 600,000 people at one time went from the worshiping of many gods to one god. They found a stone where it said that to one Nebo, Nineveh. It's true. Well, it's always been there in the Bible. Wow. And I love this one. Man has finally admitted, they used to laugh at this one for years, they finally dug it up, that there really was a real house of solid ivory built by King Ahab, 1 Kings twenty-two thirty-nine. And you could go hour after hour after hour. Every dig that's in the Middle East, every dig that's anywhere will prove again and confirm the accuracy of our Bible. What about prophetic accuracy? If there's one solid evidence of the, the veracity of this book that we call the Bible, it's just prophecy alone. This is where we really separate ourselves from every other religion. They have a track record of 1% accuracy. That's not very good. Kind of embarrassing. One of my best friends, uh, not Bruce, one of my best friends... Uh, Bob Catcher, he's uh, very high up in the Mormon faith. And he'd always get upset at me because I wouldn't call him a Christian. And I said, Bruce, I can't do it because you say that the blood of Christ avails for nothing. But one thing that, uh, that uh, Bob didn't like is all their prophecies about uh, rivers and streams and cities, even here in America, they never can find them. They've never dug any of them up. It's kind of embarrassing, really. 
and their pro uh, prophecy is absolutely horrendous. But that is cool about our Bible is it's mind-boggling. It is 100% accuracy, by the way. There's over 3,000 fulfilled or unfulfilled prophecies, and every single one has come to pass. We've got about 1,100 unfulfilled prophecies yet to go. I would suggest they're all going to be fulfilled. He is coming back, by the way. And if you take just the messianic prophecies about Christ, there's 323 of them. Take 45 of them. The chances of 45 of those messianic prophecies coming to pass is like taking a dime, putting a dime in the state of Texas with two feet depth of dimes all the way across the state of Texas, mixing them all up, and going out there and for the first time picking that one dime out. That's just 45 of them. Again, it's a one followed by 147 zeros. <laughs> and then he says, I will come again. Excuse me, I got a, something in my throat. 12 hours before his death, he said, I will come again. He will. I have watched in my lifetime some of the prophecies that have come to pass. One of them is just this, this war and rumors of wars that is taking place, the ramping up of the military might. The Bible says that in Matthew 24. And in our lifetime, we have witnessed <coughs> we have witnessed Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Know this, that in the last days, it says, men shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be greatly increased. We're seeing that in our lifetime. The halfway point of all human knowledge was 20 years ago. What does that tell you about the curve? We have gone from the Abacus to Super Cray computers in about our lifetime. We have gone from the ox cart to supersonic jets just about in our lifetime. And look at this thing right here, which I call digital dementia. This thing right here is already out of date and I've had it two years. This thing will do more than the first Apollo that went to the moon. It's amazing what this thing does. But we've done it in our lifetime. Well, the Bible says that's going to happen in the end of the age. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, know this, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Men shall be what? Lovers of their own selves, disobedient to parents, blasphemers, incontinent. We see that moral pollution in our day. We're living on the last page of the final chapter of mankind. My favorite is May 18th, 1948. For 2,547 years, Israel was not a nation. But the Bible always said that we'll be a nation. Now, I was born in 1950, so it was 1948. So it's not my lifetime, but just a couple years before that, they became a nation. That was prophesied for many years, and they became a nation on that date. And the Bible says in Amos very clearly, I will bring them back to their land, and they shall be pulled out no more. 
God is bringing the Jew back to spank him. Spank him for rejecting his son. And there's going to be a tribulation period someday. But the Christian faith is right because every prophecy in this book has come to pass. I know I'm right and you can know you're right and you can tell the world you know you're right just because of the scientific accuracy of this Bible. Every scientific statement in this Bible is accurate. And again, I thank God in a sense of humor for some reason seeing man starting to get puffed up again. And so he allowed the invention of the microscope and the telescope. And I think there was only about 12 years difference. Uh, 1605 to whatever. And through this, you can see a system in every star, a star in every system. And you can go down to quarks and protons and neutrons and all that so small that after a while there's no matter even. It's the Lord. And you can go out there in the infinity of space, so large, so big. Men used to think there was 1,118 stars. And then they invented the telescope. And now we see billions of galaxies. Wow. One of my favorite is, is we know that uh, the earth is round. Now the smart people said it used to be flat. Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 22, it's always been there. He that sits on the circle of the earth hangs a circle on the earth upon nothing. It's always been here. So if they would have just trusted what the word said, uh, they wouldn't have to worry about Columbus going off the edge of the earth. <laughs> and again, it's, stars are innumerable. We cannot count them. Well, it's always said that in Genesis chapter 15. What about the laws of heredity in Genesis 1 and 21? All living things are after their own kind. No crossing over. They've never found it yet. If you plant a cantaloupe, you're going to get a cantaloupe. If a cow breeds with a cow, you're going to get another cow or a heifer. There's no crossing over. It's always been here in the Bible, the law of heredity. Always. What about meteorology? Well, it's always been here in the Bible, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, and in our vernacular day, read it, read, um, read at night, Pilate's delight, read in the morning, Pilate's warning. Jesus said it in a different way, Matthew there. It's always been in the Bible. What about thermodynamics? The second law of thermodynamics says that when there's energy an energy change, it will never go back to its original or useful state. The Bible has always said in Psalm 102 that this whole planet, this earth is waxing old like a garment and it's going to be rolled up someday like a scroll. Not getting better. Cults will say, no, it's getting better. No, it isn't. And we can kind of see that, can't we? Kind of like our bodies. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. Then I thought about the hydrological cycle. It's always been in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 5. It says how the winds come, the currents come, they go, and it goes up, it comes down, it goes back out to the seas, 
and they come from where they came from. It's always been there in the Bible, the hydrological cycles. It's always been there. And then there's one more that you can share with the people on the planet. And you can say something like this. The transforming power of this Bible is unequal. Jeremiah said it's alive and spiritual. Hebrews says the same thing. And that's where I go back to Psalm 19:7. The law or the word of the Lord is perfect. It will convert <clears throat> the soul. The Bible says one place, taste and see that the Lord is good. And man will do everything he can to find peace and joy. But until you come back to the Lord and his word, that is where it all begins. And that's why John said in his gospel, all of these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by, by believing, you can have life, real life through his name. And I think the ripple effect of the Bible has brought millions to Christ because it's alive. The Bible says that we're to renew the inner man day by day. Are you feeding the inner man day by day? Back to John Brown. 37 years ago when he walked up to our table, and this guy's big, and I'm, I, he's probably about as strong as you. And John Brown was a, uh, an African-American, big afro, big muscles, and there's just something about him he had these long, what do you call these long dreadlocks? dreadlocks. And, but he was a very handsome guy. And when he smiled, I mean, I just something about him. And so we kind of, I got him off the subject of the Bible about sports. And, we, and then he'd come back and says, still don't believe that. Well, okay. And I said, John, I'll, I'll tell you what. Why don't we meet again? But I said, we got a problem. I live in Modesto. So we made a deal. I said, John, I will meet you at Casa de Fruta, about halfway. And I will meet you in two weeks. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that the Bible and Christianity is right. He said, it's a deal. We shook hands. Made a date. Two weeks later, I drove over to uh, Casa de Fruta and... Uh, I asked the manager, I said, I got a gentleman coming here. I'd like a private table in the back because we might be here a while. He said, absolutely. So we get there in the back, and I'll never forget looking out the window. Here comes John Brown, books. <laughs> and I, oh, no, books. And he walks in, and I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. One book, that's what we're talking about. You say you don't believe this book, so we're going to talk about this book. Take them all back to the car. He said, you're, you're, you're kidding me. I said, no. He said, yeah, but I've tried. No, take them back. So he took them back to the car. I thought he was going to hit me. And then he came back, and we sat there for a couple hours and went through the Bible. He's, this guy was a lot smarter than I was. He had been to college. His dad played for the Detroit Lions, a football player. And um, I wonder why he didn't go, but, man, he was big. And we, we never 
But we never settled anything, so we met two more times. And then I started, I'd go over there and I met him uh, in Monterey. And uh, we did kayaking together. He whipped me every time. We'd go clear out to the point. We'd come back. He had his own. And, uh, and yet we'd always go to a coffee shop. We'd continue to talk about the Bible. And folks, one day, There's a little cafe where you rent bicycles. And we're sitting in this cafe. And it makes you realize it's not about anything you say, anything we say. It's all about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is very good at what he does. He convicts people. And we're sitting there and our Bibles were open and all of a sudden, it's true. I get it. I get it. And I don't know what verse it was, but it just came together. And when you watch the dots being connected in this man's mind, wow. I'm going to tell you something, and I think you all know this. You may lead people to Christ over the years, <clears throat> and we have. What a joy. But the very people you lead to Christ is going to come back and be a minister to you. And he did. John Brown that day, we, we, we prayed. Man, he was one excited dude. I called him about two weeks later, and he said, Gordon, you got to get over here. He says, I'm doing what you told me to do. What the word of God, he said, he's pumped, he's going to church. And I got over there, <clears throat> And he says, follow me. And I went down to one of the most seedy sections of Monterey, and I was scared. It was a drug den. I was scared. He said, you sit on this, this box right here. And I sat down on the box. He said, Gordy, he called me Gordy. He said, Gordy, you're scared, aren't you? I said, man, man, look at these guys. I mean, it was, it was a drug den. These guys started coming up to him, and he preached the word, led people in prayer. And I'll never forget when we walked away that day. He slams me up against the wall. He says, Gordy, what's your problem? I said, John, what do you mean? He says, you're a scaredy cat. Everything you told me for months and the things you told me to do, I'm doing it. And you're scared? Yeah. I'm sorry. He put in me a boldness that day that I hope I don't ever lose. John Brown is an incredible young man. He got involved with the Ethiopian Jews, and I don't know, we lost contact. I know I'm going to see him in heaven, but wow. It made me realize that day that the heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ, God's only son, and he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And all this apologetic stuff that we talked about at Casa de Fruta, when it clicked in his mind, he became a powerhouse. I remember coming home and telling Heidi that you ever feel like somebody went around you? 
And yeah, I knew something about the Bible and I've read over the years and I've been a pastor. This guy, wow, a sponge used by the Holy Spirit was a powerful thing. He quit his job there at Baba Gump. He got involved in some street ministry. And I am so thankful to get to know this man. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's alive and it's, it's true. And even though we kind of scratched around here today, everybody here, you're going to place in front of them over the years, we know you will, people that will ask questions. And Father, we would just pray that you give them truth out of your word. Anything you say is truth. So anything that we read, Father, may it just build up the inner man, strengthen the inner man, give them courage that we too can be like a John Brown. Doesn't matter where we go, we know we're right. And we do that in a humble way. So Father, encourage us, enrich us, empower us, and thank you for the blessing of the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives as we yield to him and you. Again, we thank you for this day. Bless us, uh, this congregation and everything that they're involved in and everything they're doing to lift you up. In Christ's name we pray, amen.